You swept in abruptly, like take it or leave it. Mauling your suede gloves, you declared, do you know I'm getting married? All right, marry then. So what? I can take it. As you see, I'm calm. Like the pulse of a corpse. Do you remember how you used to talk, Jack London? Money, love, passion. But I saw one thing only. You. And you had to be stolen. Words from Mayakovsky, the futurist Russian poet. Mm -hmm. Also words that I thought of when discussing what we are going to discuss a little bit later in this episode today. <coughs> All right. Hey, Marcus. Hey. Do you like movies? Yes, I do. This is Zebras in America podcast, a podcast amongst other things, movies. Episode, what is this, 104? 104. That's yep. amazing. I know. I agree. Um, yeah, 104. Uh, it, was, it was my anniversary last week, so I didn't record because, you know, that's how it works. Hey. Love is a good thing. Marcus and I are both in happy relationships, and that's dope. Yeah, I'm getting married uh, in three months. Yeah, I'm pretty wow. excited. Yeah. You know what would be super dope? What's that? If uh, at your wedding I sang that Moana cover and had like pe people do interpretive dance. Specifically my two goddaughters? That would be, that would be preferable, yeah. Okay, well, well, maybe we'll work something out. That could be dope. Cool. Um, we have some emails. Nice. To read. But let's let's uh, we're we're trying something out, something that we talked about on episode one hundred of something that we would like to do more often, which we have done before. If you check out our two part episodes about the films of Claire Denis, mm -hmm. we're gonna do occasionally, every four or five episodes or so, we're gonna do deep dives into directors. Today we're going to deep dive in who I believe now to be the finest living English director, Joanna Hogg. Well, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, she's. I, I think she's great. Can you name a better English director? Mike Lee. Oh. Mike. I don't know if that's fair. Well, let me... Okay, let me say something. Mike Lee has, like, decades, literally, on her. So maybe that's not fair. But if we're going to talk about recent in the last couple of years, uh, maybe... Because it's like in the last the last cup couple of years, I thought Mr. Turner was really good, but it it wasn't phenomenal. And his last film, which came out this year, uh, Peter Lou, it's fine. So if we're gonna talk about last three or four, you know, actually the last two or three films, maybe jo Jonah Hogg got him. But overall, I, as far as actor people, I'm gonna give it to Mike Lee. I mean, that's but we're also fair. Comparing, like, but 12, 13, yeah, 14 we're, we're talking about someone four. who's made like twenty movies. Yo, I'm not going to lie to you. I think I've seen like two of his movies. Really? Yeah. Let me uh let me let me let me guess. Secrets and Lies and Naked? Yep. Yeah, those are the two, yeah. Well, oh, you haven't seen Vera Drake? No. Cuz that's another one every that was a big Oscar movie when it came out in 2004. No, I'm going to have I'm going to have Ooh. to check that out. Life is sweet. If you could do that first, because that's one of my favorite movies, period. I think that's period. his best... Yeah, no questions asked. I also think that's his best movie. Well, that's exciting. But it's definitely in... It's it's in the Marcus top, like, 25. 20, top 25? Yeah, yeah. Life is Sweet is... It's such a great, awesome, amazing movie. Absolutely. And so, well... Yeah. If, if yeah. someone makes one of your favorite movies... And I'm, I'm not going to say too much about Joanna Hogg, because I want to go into our males, mm -hmm. but... Uh, two two 
Archipelago <coughs> is one of the most beautiful movies I've seen, like visual wise. Yeah. And uh, Souvenir may, we'll see, but it could be it could be a very important movie to me. It's top three or four for me. Like it, it's 2019. Year. Yeah. Yeah. Have you no, ever no seen Hubo? No. I really want to see it as the first and only movie by Hugh Kian, oh. um, and uh, a follower of our show, Non-Films, mm-hmm. uh, posted about it, and they've been, they've they've written really nice things about my album, Bird. Oh, cool. So That's great. If they think a movie is good, it's it's worth for me to check out. Okay. And there's, yeah, there's still so many movies I want to watch. Have you ever seen the 80s movie Variety? course i haven't oh oh damn see now i wish shit i would have loaned you my dvd uh dude because they're there they had they just were showing that at the quad and i was like this looks like a movie <laughs> i want to see yeah also, betty gordon because i'm um, trying i'm trying to 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 prove that like it's not that there haven't been amazing women directors throughout time it's that their the ratio is is ridiculous right. Man, I wouldn't be upset doing a deep dive because she's she's someone who she's been making movies since Betty Gordon directed Variety. She's been making movies since like the late seventies up to now, but she only has like a small body of work. Like for someone who's been making films for over forty years, you'd think you know. I think she's got seven feature films. That's it. Yeah, you have like yeah. So there's Variety, Luminous. Oh, you're gonna you you'd love Luminous Motion. Um, Handsome Harry. So maybe I'm that'll forgetting. be. I, I I know you were saying that we were that the next deep dive was maybe going to be Bob Balaban. Yeah, that's true. But Betty, Betty Gordon could be a lot of fun. Yeah, because all of her, like if you watch Variety, you watch Luminous Motion, and you watch Handsome Hair, you'd think they were direct, directed all by different people. It, it's really it's really cool. And also, each one of those movies is from a different uh, decade. You have Variety in the eighties. Luminous Motion in the '90s. God, Luminous Motion is such a and weird, interesting movie. And I still, then, I know. still want to do an episode about the 1978 film Girlfriends when we get a chance. Okay, cool. Which I'm not sure you've seen. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. No. Um, and yeah, there's all these movies I just really want to see. That it's just it's a great time to enjoy movies. It is. It it is. Except if you like movies that. It, old movies made by Fox because apparently I read <laughs> right. now, now that Disney owns Fox they're vaulting yeah. all their movies for yeah. for retrospective like movie theaters art house movie theaters are going to really be struggling yep it makes me think of IFC specifically you know I was just there they were doing uh, some repertory stuff with uh, oh shout out to Matt Zoller sites by the way uh, film critic oh yeah he's dope uh, who uh, gave me a brown bunny poster uh, a couple weeks ago. That so was, that was him? Yeah, yeah. And I didn't even realize until I got... I was on my way to his apartment. Actually, he lives in Sunset Park. He lives off, right off of 4th Avenue. Really? I, you might not want to <laughs> say exactly where... Jesus Christ, a, a I'm sorry. A famous critic Fuck. lives. He lives in my... Uh, he was moving. Anyway, he lives in my old na- uh, <laughs> neighborhood. Damn, I just blew up a spot. But anyway, um, on my way there... <clears throat> my fiance was like because there was this whole thing on Twitter where like a bunch of people tagged me like hey this guy is giving away a brown bunny poster and I got so excited that I didn't realize who it was and then just as I got off the train to go to this guy's house 
uh, my fiance was like, babe, you didn't tell me you were buying this poster off, you were getting this poster off of Mad Zoller sites. I love reading his stuff. And then I was kind of like, oh, I am? Oh, shit, I am. And then, you know. And then, oh, anyway, I say that to say uh, he uh, is hosting this repertory series ongoing now at IFC. So a couple weeks ago, he invited me out to see a, a John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness at the IFC Center. And it was like a packed crowd. It was, it was pouring rain, but it was like a packed crowd. People came out to see one of the the lesser praised but just as good John Carpenter movies. And that's, you know, I like <clears throat> I like that about <clears throat> New York City, about art house theaters, um, you know, programs and stuff like that where you could just go to an art house theater and see Alien or Prince of Darkness or something like that. But Yeah, and I, I, don't, I, don't, you know, I don't know why they're doing that because, like, honestly, yeah. like, I'll never forget that, and I know, yes, we haven't read our mail and we haven't talked about the movies yet, and anyone, please, if you have a copy of Queen of Diamonds by Nina Menkes, please send it to me. I want to watch it so bad, and I missed the run of it. <clears throat> Just saying. Yeah. Um, is when, when I was 13 years old, mm-hmm. my friend Sophie said, hey, uh, stay over with me and my friends tonight. They lived in, they lived in the village. Okay. And at, at midnight... We're going to go to the Angelica and watch Blade Runner. Oh, wow. I was 13. And I said, why would we watch a movie at midnight? Oh, man. That was one. Mm -hmm. Two, what's the Angelica? Mm -hmm. And three, what's Blade Runner? Mm. All those things were explained. And then I was told the the story. Nice discovery. The history of... The Midnight Movie, and I've been going to the Angelica now ever since. I used to watch every Kevin Smith movie there when he was the sort of filmmaker that you could see in, at the Angelica. Right. I would when documentaries would come in when when Miyazaki was lesser known. It was just a great place. I still love the Angelica. I still love Blade Runner. I still don't understand why I like Blade Runner two thousand forty nine so much. I really mm. do. I still stand by that movie a lot. And it was just—it's got just, a vibe to it. I mean, I'm not crazy about it, but it definitely has a—it has this interesting vibe. Like there's some movies, sometimes, and some movies, plenty of movies that you like, you can't always explain. There's a lot of movies yeah. like, why do I like this? But I do. Oh, have you seen the Art of Self Defense? I still haven't. No. Yeah, let's talk about that another day. Okay. Just because I want to talk about it. Not that I thought it was like remarkable or anything, but mm-hmm. I just thought it was interesting, and I think it's—it's it's a good thing to talk about. Okay. But and then from there, like my friend was like, "Yo, Thursday night, this we're talking twenty some years ago. Sure, like Thursday night, do you want to go see Rocky Horror Picture Show at midnight?" Mm-hmm. And then I discovered the beauty of the midnight movie. Yeah, and um, it's weird whenever hearing people because, <clears throat> like, I've said this on the coughing into the mic. B. I've said this uh, before, but like outside of my own father, like another father figure, just growing up with. One of the essentially one of the creators of one of the biggest midnight movies, Michael Thelwell, Arthur, the harder they come, who to some degree is was never fully aware of it. He's an interesting guy. He, Michael Thelwell, my uh, one of my best friends' fathers, he only likes like two movies. He doesn't really pay attention to like certain things, so he didn't really. I mean, he obviously he knew his book was adapted into a film, but he didn't realize it was like that Eraserhead, Rocky Horror Picture Show, those like those small group of movies that like set off this whole thing. He really didn't. No. Yeah, I might have been the one to tell him honestly. I don't know, but and yeah. 
yeah I just I love I love that sort of idea so I just wanted to thank you Sophie um, and I just want and I just think that that Disney is really making a poor choice and yeah. not to get political but if we were in a different political climate maybe we would be a little more careful about letting companies become oligopolies because at first you're like oh it's going to be really awesome where the Muppets and Star Wars and Wolverine can all be in the same movie but all of a sudden you'll be like wait what is all of these limits of control and do you really only want two companies having control over yeah, everything sure. yeah. well Matt he just wrote a really big article on that actually uh, recently that's been getting a lot of press so I've been so busy with school that I, I honestly haven't been keeping up too much. Right. Um, but we got some really nice uh, emails. Okay. So let's, shall we do that? Please. Uh, one from John Arminio, mm-hmm. episode 102. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dear Marcus and Scott, thanks again for the shout out on your podcast. Hi, Doug. Hey, Marcus, you ever smoke PCP? No. I greatly appreciate it. No doubt. As for me being on Zebras in America, Marcus said he has a possible topic in mind, so I'm very curious as to what that might be, and I look forward to discussing it with you, gentlemen. Yeah, we'll reach out to you closer probably to the Christmas season. We'll figure something out. But I don't think the topic's going to be Christmas because I, I want to be topical. Um, yeah. And thank you again for all your cinematic and hip-hop insight. Speaking of which... Please check out your old Droog. It wasn't even close. That's a good album. Oh, of course. Yeah. I definitely have a set of hip-hop I love. Deltron 3030 is a favorite of mine, which you mentioned. Nice. But I have enormous blind spots as well, as we all do. I bet you that um, Marcus could tell me very, very well about all the different members of anti-pop consortiums, oeuvre, Whereas sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure I have a larger understanding of Young Thug's mixtapes. Yeah. But I, uh, hell, I have huge blind spots in my cinematic knowledge. As do I. Ask me about any movie made before 1940. So hearing you guys talk about what is essential or things many people overlook on both subjects is very edifying. Lastly, I really appreciated your insight about mental health as pertains to the Joker movie. The lack of funding for mental health care in America, turning America's prisons into de facto mental health care facilities, has been an issue that has frustrated me for years. So for the film to address the abandoning of these people to their own resources or to the criminal justice system is good, but mentally ill people also don't generally start on murderous rampage the second they go off their meds. So thank you for your informed, nuanced take. Sincerely, John Armidio. All right. Yeah. I'm glad that I'm glad that our that our episode about the about Joker was well received and and I'm glad that we made some astute comments. Absolutely. <coughs> it's slowly becoming like the most successful R-rated movie ever and people are still continuing to really not get the point. <laughs> our next is from Melissa Silverstyle, Silvestri. I would love to be on the podcast. Hi, Marcus and Scott. Thank you so much for your invitation. I would love to be a guest. I w- it would be fun to meet the two of you and talk about movies. Cool. Well, we invited you, so let's do it. Um, awesome. Send send us an email if you have any ideas, and uh, yeah, we'll co- uh, you, if you're in if you're in the city, you come over. We'll have we'll have some pizza or something. 
Um, I'm glad you're recuperating from your health issues. Thank you for being open with your audience about it. I wish you the best of health for you and your future. Oh, thank you. Yeah. As for movies I've seen lately, I really liked Ravenous. A night. I like how she's explaining to us the, the, the subject of Ravenous. I love that movie. Yeah. No, but yes, thank you. Yesterday, I think, was its end. Yesterday, which would have been uh, Tuesday, October 29th, I think was its, like... Um, Anniversary. It was like its twenty second anniversary or something like that. Now that's a midnight movie. Sure. I, which uh, her description: a nineteen ninety nine horror comedy. Twenty starring, years, sorry. Starring Guy Pearce and Robert Carlyle mm-hmm. about cannibals in the eighteen forties. That was ridiculous and fun. Also, another fun fact: the co the co musical score was written by Damon Alburn of the band Blur. And I don't oh, have, no and I don't have Wikipedia in front of me. That's something I remember because I worked at a record store when this album came out, when the movie came out, and it's about cannibals, but it's also about Wendigos, and it's a really fun movie. Yeah, I and saw I, it in the theater. Uh, yeah, Se- senior year of high school. And I bought I bought the record I bought the record at my job because I worked at a record store, and I opened the back, and it was like scored by so and so and Damon Alburn, mm-hmm. and I was, and this was before Gorillas. But, mm. but I, but I knew. But he was. He had appeared in Deltron twenty twenty, which is funny because we just keep mm. on talking about Deltron twenty twenty every episode right now. Thirty thirty. I'm just saying. Sorry. <clears throat> Anyways. An automator. Anyways. Sorry, I just got the song stuck in my head. Yeah. Uh, podcast over. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so I didn't even know about the gorillas, but I knew that like Blur were this band. I really liked that one song, the Woohoo song, mm. and I knew that them and Oasis had a big beef. Yeah, uh, it was. Uh, it was like manufactured. It was mostly manufactured, and they had a <coughs> so- they had a soccer match. And I was more of a pulp person myself. Mm. Uh, I've also seen Pain and Glory, the new Almodovar movie, oh, which was decent. That. A good drama that felt like several vignettes tied together about one filmmaker's life and issues. I still like the uh, something about my mother and um, oh, all about my all about my mother yeah. mm-hmm. and and I, I know this I know this is like basic of me, but women on the verge of a nervous breakdown. I just really like that movie. Not really, not very basic. Isn't that like the one people like? Sure, but at this point. Sure, I guess, but it kind of it's it's like cult status though more than like all about my mother or talk to her or broken embrace. Well, no one really talks about broken embraces, but like thank God. Anyway, that movie wasn't bad. Broken yeah. embraces is fine. No, I'm thinking of something else. Yeah. Um, Volver was. Is that the one? Is that the one where where Antonio Banderas puts together his daughter as someone else? Oh no, that's in to, my skin to have sex with. No, that's a whole... Yeah, wow. Yeah, no. no. That's the one I was... I didn't like that one. Sorry. I liked that like movie a lot. Okay. I thought the movie was really good. I don't know. It just felt like he was... He was the reason... No, The Skin I Live In? Yeah. No, sorry. In, in My Skin is the Marina Devin movie. Yeah, yeah no, because he's, he's <coughs> just dealing with a bunch of milieu over and over. Right. Anyways, uh, The Last Days of Shea New, a 1992 New Zealand film by Julian Ann, Ann Armstrong. That was a pretty good family drama with a lot of warmth to it. Wendy and Lucy, which was a good slice of yeah. life drama that I appreciated for being sparse in its backstory of Wendy 
and showcasing a great kind-hearted performance in the actor who played the security guard that helps Wendy during her struggles. Yeah. That's a movie we like very much. Um, Kelly Reichardt has a love for exteriors that is not dissimilar to Joanna Hogg's love of exteriors. I, I, I agree. Hustlers, which, which, which was good, though more comedic than I expected. I wanted... I went in thinking it was going to be a dark dark crime drama and not as light as it was. I haven't seen it. Mm. And Ready or Not, which was a fun and irreverent horror comedy about a newlywed bride surviving a deadly game oh, by in-laws. Oh, man, I never saw that. To prevent a prophecy from happening. Sounds good. Yeah, so uh, send us an email about some times that you're free and about some topics, and let's make it happen. Uh, one, one last email. From Dustin Nading. Cool. What's up, Dustin? Hello, Zebras. It's been a while since I've written to you and wanted to congratulate you both on 100-plus episodes. Also, I'm glad to hear that Marcus has recovered from his health scare and hope you both are well. Thank you. I was wondering what some of your favorite film noir films are. I just recently watched Out of the Past with Robert Mitchum for the first time, and I loved it. I feel like I've seen most of the classics, but was curious to hear your thoughts or any recommendations you may have. Happy to have you guys back. Dustin Nading, P.S. Scott. Music for Intersections is something I've been listening to a lot lately and one of my favorite tracks of the year. Thank you, Dustin. Nice. Before, before Marcus responds, just how we were talking about Blind Spots a second ago, Film Noir is also uh, a something I have. I have a blind spot and that I'm also not super fond of. Like, mm. like I remember when Brick came out, people were really happy because they were like, oh, it's, a, it's like a... It's like a, you know, an, an homage to film noir, mm-hmm. and, and I didn't care for it. And Tume and I were watching it just being like, what the hell, we were living together at the time. I still like that movie a lot. I haven't, I have not watched it in quite some time. That's, which, so my, my opinion might change if I sit and watch it, but. Is, <coughs> is Kiss Kiss Bang Bang film noir? It's more buddy, because it's, you know, Shane, Shane yeah. Black. So yeah, uh, it's, I, it's noirish. I'd say Manhattan, not Manhattan. No, Chinatown. That's a film. Oh, I, it's well classic. I like yeah. that movie. Blade Runner is noir. Um, oh, neo noir. I like that one. Uh, I know I bring this movie up a lot, but Parents is very much a noir. I mean, it's about this kid essentially spying on his parents, keeping a distance because I he suspects, think, suspects something of. I them. don't think of that as a noir. It is. It totally is. Well, it's, the, he's well, essentially the kid's a detective, essentially. Well, yeah, but so being a detective makes it a, a noir. No, it's about darkness, shadows, hiding, secrets, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Is Birth neo noir? No. no, that's a weird movie. Yeah. Oh, another good. Oh, Devil in a Blue Dress is oh, a movie that holds up. That's very a good, well. That's too. a good movie. Yeah. I'm surprised that yeah. that didn't get turned into a series of films. It, it was supposed to over the years, but it got all, like at one point. Because uh, I guess they got too old. This wasn't this wasn't too long ago. At one point, it, it the it got picked up. The rights got picked up, and Jeffrey Wright uh, was gonna play um, Denzel Washington's part, and Most Deaf was gonna play Mouse. But now I kind of glad that didn't happen because I think Mouse. That's probably Don Cheadle's single greatest performance. Um, I don't. Those are some pretty big shoes to fill. And while yeah. Most Deaf is not a bad actor, I don't think he. I don't think he can step into that. Did you know to that, that role like Don Cheeto did? Just and also, just did, did you know that Walter Mosley is Jewish? No, well, he's Jewish. Wow, now I know. Yeah. Um, and how come no one's made the connections of like, like the Equalizer being like Denzel Washington's John Wick? 
That's true. Um, I guess because when it comes to like, as as much as I enjoy the Equalizer movies, they're slightly more tame. That's a funny thing to say, because those movies compared are, to John, right. compared to John Wick, because like those movies are violent as hell. They, but also the violent stuff happens in spurts, whereas like John Wick, for the most part, it's like nonstop crazy shit. Whereas the Equalizer takes its time, and you know. I'm sure there's going to be Equalizer Part 3. Equalizer 2 was surprisingly good. It was good. I hope there's more. I haven't watched it. Um, I only watched it once. And I also think a big part of why I liked Equalizer, because I did a double feature and I saw Equalizer 2 right after I saw First Purge. So anything after that probably looks great. Yeah, but, I mean, hey. first, first, Purge, first Purge was not the greatest. No. But, um... Okay. Without further ado, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know enough film noir to be honest. Mm. Um, a couple. The element of crime. Sorry, before we, uh, the Danish oh. director's direct featured directorial debut. The element of crime uh, is is an amazing noir. I love that movie. <sighs> What's that David Mamet movie we've talked about a bunch of times? David Mamet. Oh, oh, well, he's done a few noirs. Uh, House of Games? House of Games. Oh, that's thousand percent. Yeah, that's noir. a dope movie. That, that's a really dope movie. We should do... That would be an interesting deep dive, the films of David Mamet. Yeah, it would. Because even though he's a controversial person in his yeah. later life because sure. some of his political views and... Mm. But, like, I could do a two-hour podcast on the film Red Belt alone. I couldn't, but it'd be interesting to... <laughs> That would be, inter- be an interesting deep dive. Yeah. Um, if we ever decide to do a Patreon, then maybe we can have you guys help us figure out the deep dive episodes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so a few months ago, we had a friend of the show uh, suggest to us the film Unrelated. Mm-hmm. Mikhail Karadimov was right. jogging in Central Park as we were recording an episode and decided know, to crazy. just sit with us and have an episode. And he was telling us, oh, you guys see this movie, Unrelated, by Joanna Hogg. You know, she had just done this movie that came out this year called The Souvenir. And that it was it was like a cross between Hanukkah and Lucretia Martel. Which was enough for us to be like, what? Sure. And then, of course, stupid me. Oh, yeah, I saw this movie <laughs> a while ago. I yeah. do that a lot. So, Joanna Hogg is a British director who's been, who's been working in TV for a long time mm. and started making films in 2007 yep and her first film also there i found a lot of connective tissues though the souvenir seems to be a move to a new style of uh, definitely of cinematography and slightly of narrative because there's this thing that she does with narrative that i find very pleasing and very pleasant I'd say, okay. I'd also add use of music in the souvenirs is a little different. It's, than, and also, uh, as also a friend of the show, Carlo, uh, pointed out that this, that's her first film shot on film. So wow, there, there's, there's, okay. a couple, there's a couple different things. So let's, let's start from the beginning. Okay. 2007, Unrelated, a film that was made in a smaller budget on, a, on an island in Italy where some some well-to-do people and their kids 
mm-hmm. are having a vacation. Mm-hmm. And they, all the people, all the extras in the movie were just people on the island. Right. All the outfits that people were wearing were outfits from the movie that they had. Because yeah. they were just working with what they had. It was a low-budget movie. Um, and I do, it did definitely, I did understand why Mikhail said Martel because of the the wide shots, the this sort of in her first three films, her first three films, which which are um, unrelated, Archipelago or Archipelago, and um, what's why did I just forget Interiors? Mm-hmm. Uh, Ex- no. no, no, no. Uh, Exteriors? Exhibition, you're exhibition. talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, exhibition. Uh, those, those all three have a very, like, one of the co-stars in all those movies mm-hmm. is the scenes, mm-hmm. the outside. These, these, these luscious exterior shots. Yeah. These shots that are very zoomed out and framed and some some of it you feel like you're watching a play because of how much it doesn't move yeah and then Hmm. what's moving are the people there's these just gorgeous shots where it's just about what's happening in the shot Mm -hmm. and unrelated is just about this is about this woman who's going through a midlife crisis Mm-hmm. And she instead she feels isolated from her friends that are her age, and starts hanging out with the younger people. In fact, in the movie, they're called olds and youngs. Yeah. And I should say that there will be spoilers from these movies. Sure. Um, the first three of these movies that we're mentioning are on Criterion Channel if you have them, and Souvenir is is able to rent for like three dollars. Really? Yeah, <clears throat> on on Amazon. I kind of want to watch that again. I actually might. Uh... And it's worth it. And there, and Tom Hiddleston is in the first three movies. That's like her. It's like her Robert De Niro. Well, that was, if I'm not mistaken, his first movie. Uh, or his first like feature. I mean, yeah. he's he is yeah. young in the first. Yeah, movie. Yeah, I, I think it is. Because this is 2007. Yeah. And and then there's there's this very much will they or won't they hook up yeah, sort of vibe yeah. throughout the yeah. movie. And and there's there's a lot of there's a lot of unrequited feelings going throughout all of her movies. These these one sided power dynamic relationships. Yeah. Um, watching the movie, I had a thirst for Negronis because they're drinking a lot of Negronis, which oh, is sure. which is a cocktail which is classically Campari gin sweet vermouth with an orange rind. And I grew up. I grew up having them as a special, like because my mom would have them like every once in a while, and she would let me have like a little sip. Mm-hmm. Not like I would get drunk with my mom, but sure. I would just have like a little sip. And like I just love in this in unrelated these wide geography shots. They remind me of like when when a lot of films that were popular in the fifties were musicals. Mm-hmm. And you just have like these wide shots that maybe you get a little zoom, but it was mostly just like letting the scene do its do its sure. talk. Um, have you ever seen West Side Story? Yeah, not in a long time, but yeah. The West Side Story is shot 
beautifully. Mm -hmm. And I was, uh, Sasuke and I were watching some songs from that recently, and I, I was noticing oh, nice. how there were similarities mm -hmm. in the shot style. Right. Because using cinematography as part of the paintbrush in earlier films seemed less apparent though I wouldn't say that it wasn't being done mm -hmm. Do, was that a, is that a fair assessment yeah I'm, I'm yeah more so with her third film uh, I'm sorry her second film though um, but we'll get to that but what I keep no, thinking no, about... No, I'm saying, like, the in the 1950s... Like, I'm trying to say... I, that thought, like, you, I thought you meant Jonah Hogg's... No, no, definitely, definitely. I mean, our, some of the best things about our, our archipelagos, aside from the story, are these shots of this island. Yeah. And all of her movies take place on islands. Mm -hmm. um, that's, like, a thing. And, no, just how, like... Because I'm sure you know films of the 50s and 60s 40s and 50s better than me mm -hmm. at what point do you think people were using cinematography and photography as as a part of the art well <clears throat> I'm sure it was early I mean first because you were talking about zooms and not zooms but I think of Sound of Music right. I think that was the 60s early 60s because there's that famous shot on the hill and the camera zooms in and out but I think Singing in the Rain which is a slept on movie yeah like Casa, See, it's tough because Casablanca is a great movie, but it doesn't have like great shots. Yeah, but when I think of like Singing in the Rain, My Fair Lady, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, it's all it's more about like the movement of the actors, the clothing. But even that's cinematography. You have to be a good cinematographer to frame these people moving and and, and stuff. But um, right, and if my statement is ignorant, I apologize. Eh, whatever. I'm just I'm just asking because sure. I notice I just noticed that. Around the beginning of the 60s is when you start seeing more tracking, more zooms, more close-up. Mm -hmm. um, and I like that in the first three Joanna Hogg movies, there's very few close-ups. There are sure. scenes where there's, there's the use of lawns. Yeah. So I love how people like Joanna Hogg, Lucrecia Martel, uh, Lanthimos... Uh, regardless all will sometimes in their films showing all these people often showing upper middle class people and their lawns yeah well speaking of class too I was going to say <clears throat> in general too Jonah Hogg kind of falls in line with that Olivia Sayers crowd in that like normally movies about like rich people just being rich I, mean, I have nothing against it but normally I'm just kind of like, I'm not really into it, but like a Sayas hog, like I'm kind of like, it's easy, like, oh, someone's rich, oh, they're the enemy. Like, it's easy to kind of like hate stuff like that, but it, sure. also, it also is a testament to their filmmaking in that they make these people interesting. Right. You know? Because cause un, um, Unrelated is, is just about someone in a midlife crisis who's like maybe breaking up with their boyfriend maybe about to have sex with a 17 year old yeah on a nice vacation mm -hmm. and somehow you care archipelago is about the opposite is life about crisis, the opposite life crisis it. a young kid who is looking for any reason not to go to africa to to be like a good person yeah 
Sure. Uh, <laughs> exhibition is about these middle, cl- upper middle class yeah, artists yeah, class. Um, sad about selling a house. Yeah. And, uh, and then what, and then in, in her, one of her masterstrokes, which is, in my opinion, the souvenir, mm-hmm. which has a, which has a slightly tighter narrative arc, mm-hmm. is about a young woman in the 80s in film school, which is semi-autobiographical of Joanna Hogg, mm-hmm. with money, yeah. who's, who's fallen in love with a, a much older heroin addict. Yeah. So all of this stuff on paper, you're like, why do I care? And I think you care because of all these other factors. Yeah, it's funny because I say that to a certain extent in when I wrote about the souvenir uh, earlier this month where it's like the basic story. It's just like, you know, like some naive younger girl falling for an older guy with problems. Like how many times has that been done? But it, she just it just works. Unlo- yeah, but you know? it's. Um, she, she makes it work. She makes it work, and it's it's so much more than that. Yeah, of course. It's so of course, much. Of oh course. my god, <coughs> dude, are you, are you all right? Do you, you need some hot water? Or something? No, I'm fine. Okay. Um. Anyways, and what the film gave me some in in a in a nice way, some vibes of Rayon Vert. Oh damn! Sorry, I drew a blank for a second. Of course. Yeah. Sure. Um, just like the sort of like uh, lost person going to another place to try to mm-hmm. try to get away from their from their partner that they're not sure how they feel about. Mm-hmm. But that's it. They're very they're very different movies. Um, I'm sorry. I feel like I took up a lot of that. What are your this, thoughts um, on, on this re- movie? Unrelated? The whole um, Haneke, I guess. Um, I don't. See, I didn't see it. To be yeah, honest. well, that, that, that's kind of why I said it the way I said it. But Lucretia Martel specifically, and not like Zama, like this Zama Lucretia Martel is kind of no, no, new. No, La, this is this like is La, Cienaga. This is La Cienaga. There, there, there are definitely like you could do shot for shots of La Cienaga of and Unrelated, just yeah. like I was telling you that there were shot for shots of Archipelago and Stalker. Yeah, I see it. I think she's very much her own storyteller, but I see it. Yeah, I'm sorry, I interrupted no, you. I just think a nice triple feature would be. La Cienaga. No, no, two different double features. La Cienaga and Unrelated. Or Unrelated and uh, The Swimming Pool. Uh, with Charlotte Rampling, it came out. I don't know when this movie came out. 2002, 2003. Yeah, um, that would be fun. Which, because again, that's also about Charlotte Rampling's character. Although she's not exactly mid-life. She's a little older, but it's still, it's like this older, upper-class woman at a weird point in her life. She ends up kind of hanging out with this younger person uh, I don't wanna, some people haven't seen it because it's one of these kind of yeah. movies uh, swimming, going back to what we were saying earlier swimming, the swimming pool is also noir it, it's also in, in, in the neo-noir uh, or or field. shout out to John Cribb's swim fan you, you know. swim fan absolutely yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a weird movie yeah man John Cribbs, we need to have you on the, on the podcast again I miss you buddy I, I don't think I've seen you in a month of Sundays how are you? Oh, and I, I found out, I was reading about the reason why 
the new Jane Silent Bob movie is not going into theaters is because it was on a much smaller budget and they decided that they could get more people to see it if they toured with it. Okay. All right. So, you, you know, I already got us tickets to see Tinder Sticks later this year. That's awesome. So, Next year. Yeah. It was yeah, almost April. sold out, dog. Wow. How often? They don't... I don't think Tinder Sticks performs in America. They don't. So... So, like, good seats were sold out already. Awesome. So, I, so I got us regular seats, but it's going to be awesome. Whatever. And cool. maybe we'll take some mushrooms or something. I don't know about that, but I'll... It's a joke. I'll, no, I mean, I'll take other stuff. I don't know about mushrooms. Um, but anyways, so maybe if you want to go... To, the thing is, I really do want to see Jane Silent Bob reboot because the Viewers universe is so important to my childhood. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I want to do a Q&A afterwards. Because I don't like Q&As. I don't either. But a, a Kevin Smith Q&A from like Kevin Smith type people. No offense to Kevin Smith. But if you've seen, especially like the first, an evening with Kevin Smith. The type of questions that people ask. It's just kind of like, alright. You know what? Jesus Christ. I just think. And also to be clear. when I Because a lot of people are on this bandwagon now. And I'm, and I'm on it as well. When people are just like, Q&As suck. Q&As suck, yeah, but they have the potential to be great. It's just people have kind of ruined them. Like, I would love a good Q&A. It's just, it's a combination of, like, depending on who the filmmaker is, like Kevin Smith, people just have this urge to want to ask silly, dumb questions because, you know, there's a lot of silly, dumb stuff in, 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 in his movies. Also, you have, like, people, like filmmakers and actors who are there with the movie and they've been asking the same they've been answering the same questions to the point now where they're kind of tired and exhausted and stuff so yeah. it's just a weird mix of, 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 of things yeah it's just it's just like whatever dude yeah um yeah but back to so yeah so what's your what, what is your what is your overall synopsis or summary feelings about unrelated i think i mean i don't want to really repeat too much of what you said i i, I enjoyed it um i hadn't watched it in a long time i, I rewatched it recently um but you pretty much kind of covered it and nailed it um also this is also a movie that would make a nice double feature with like specific olivia says films like late august early september or even summer hours well, the, well, I want to do a deep dive of of Isaias because I've I've seen just that's like a three part. Just, just I, so I know because no, that's why I want to do it because I've seen like a third of his films. Right, we saw one recently. Yes, I forgot we saw until you reminded me right before we started recording. You reminded me we saw his latest film, uh, Wasp Network. Also, it turns out that like academic writers mm-hmm. are really obsessed with. Joanna Hogg as well because like I found some like academic writers uh, that um, have have said have said that Joanna Hogg um, is aware of the intermedial aesthetic uh, and the in her cinematic tableau where you can be seen as a performative space mm. uh, like watching a painting mm-hmm. which was definitely going to happen when we go into archipelago sure um, and that that was a that was a uh, article by Peto Agnes, or um, that, yeah, like people, people really 
love her use of the space Mm -hmm. as a star but back to the idea of a moving painting Mm. Uh, have I ever told you of my love for Bruegel the Elder no so my favorite painters are Bruegel the Elder Mm -hmm. and Francis Bacon oh good one because when I first saw Bruegel the Elder, the well, all Bruegels I like, their their paintings, I was they were really like watching a movie. Mm. And these are 400, 500 year old. You could just so all these stories were being told, mm-hmm. and and you could I could just go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, uh, and just zone out mm-hmm. and watch one of their paintings for an hour mm-hmm. and the same thing with Francis Bacon just in a much different style yeah there's so much pain in his stories is also but just in a different way like he wrote he did this diptych or is it a triptych about finding his lover dead mm-hmm. and it's very abstract but you get it mm-hmm. um, so when when I saw this movie Archipelago, Joanna Hogg's follow-up to yeah. Unrelated from 2010, another film that takes place in Italy yeah. about Tom Hiddleston. Was, yeah, another Hiddleston Hogg collaboration. Yeah, another Jazzy Faye Cup collabo, where where he's awesome. him and his mom and his sister who, who have like money enough money where like they have a private chef live with them sure that Tom Hiddleston tries to take advantage of mm-hmm. and they have one of the most awkward dinners ever sure yes they're trying to convince him not to go to Africa to work for like a Doctors Without Borders sort of mm-hmm. vibe yeah and to talk about talk about moving paintings there 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 there's a character in the movie who's a painter mm-hmm. who paints who paints landscapes and is sort of like the philosopher of the film. Yeah, and Archipelago. You know, it's funny going back to what I wrote about the souvenir. In it, I made a comment about how, like, you know, when you take certain other filmmakers, like a uh, recent, like a uh, like Zama, Lucretia Martel Zama, or, or you know, Post and Never Slugs or something like that. I made the statement about how <coughs> Joanna Hogg's visuals don't stand out like others do and then immediately after I posted I just wanted to go back and rewrite my that line but whatever then I immediately thought about this movie how it's just like you'd said earlier all the outdoor stuff is like Tarkovsky's Stalker yeah like unbroken takes too it's not just like they're outside but it's just like long shots of nature greens and grass and landscapes it, it's, it's really beautiful and also I just love the word archipelago because sure. in one of my favorite games as a child, Final Fantasy VIII, mm-hmm. there were several places called archipelagos. I think there's like, um, like the Humphrey Archipelago or um, the Albatross Archipelago. There's also this island called the, the Island Closest to Heaven, where you could get really cool items. They were all archipelagos, and I was like, "What is an archipelago?" Mm. And then, and then like. I'm really obsessed with Japan, which is an archipelago or archipelago. Look, pronunciation is a form of oppression. Mm. But 
Yeah, I mean, this film, this is a film that has a very simple plot, but you just want to watch it. Sure. Because, like, we could, you know, the movie's about this guy figuring it out. Yeah. And not getting along with his sister, and his sister being really mean to wait staff yeah. at a dinner. When I was young, before I had met my love, a, a, a pretty good indicator of, of whether there would be a second date is, is if someone was impolite to the wait staff. Oh, yeah. I never, that sounds like a kind of a mantra like folks would have. I never thought about that, but. Well, that's because you're, you're known to be a very mean person to wait staff. This is true. I've seen you body slam waiters like, oh, you didn't tell me how big the tomatoes in this chili was. And you start breaking tables over people's heads. Yeah, I, I might actually really do that. Yeah, that's obviously, <clears throat> obviously we're joking. But About the body slamming, but the goddamn tomatoes and chili. Some diners should be ashamed of themselves. Yeah. Anyway. But what, yeah, what I just really love about Archipelago, Archipelago the film, is, is its use of exterior shots. Yeah. Because it, it really is like watching a moving painting. It, my, one, of my other paint, uh, one of my other favorite painters... Van Gogh, who I who I feel like probably has more films about him than any other painter. Sorry for the dead air. I'm just thinking. He's, I guess when I mean, you got like dreams, the section with Scorsese is is Van Gogh. You got the recent Willem Dafoe. You got Vincent and Theo. Um, you have Van Gogh. Van Gogh. By Pierre Lot. You have I the Van, you have Van Gogh with Kirk Douglas. Yeah. Oh shit! I forgot about that one. Yeah, you have true. you have the you have the animated Van Gogh from like two years ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't, damn. Yeah, so I guess so. Yeah. And there's there's my idea for a movie called Ramgo, where where Ram LZ and Van Gogh meet in the afterlife. Oh man. Um, if pulled off, that's some. I mean, you could say that about anything, but that's something that if pulled off, that could be crazy. Oh, definitely crazy. The question is whether... Good, good, good crazy. Sorry. It's some t- good crazy. Uh, do you have any more thoughts on Archipelago? Oh, shit. I did. And then I kind of spaced. But why don't we move on? And then if, if they come back to me, I will... Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then we move to 2013, mm-hmm. where uh, we have the film Exhibition, mm-hmm. which is also... In an island, this time the island is England, mm-hmm. uh, and it's about these not really named artists, yeah, played by non actors. And Tom Hiddleston shows up, yep, as, as a real estate broker. Um, for I forget why, but they're selling their house, yeah, and they have this really nice house, and they're both artists and they're both eccentric. The, the 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 woman has like fakes fainting mm-hmm. and the man is kind of controlling and a jerk sure yeah she fakes a faint to get out of a party sure and she's a performance artist and he's a more successful artist and the and they like I feel like they go by like two they go by letters his names if I remember correctly mm-hmm. and the one of the one of the the female actress was the former lead singer of the Slits, Viv Albertine, 
and the 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 man was she? Yeah. Yo, I never even made Jesus. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know, sometimes movies I just watch. Other times I press, after I a movie, I just pause go. and I was like, wait, what? And then also the the main the actor is uh, Liam Gillick, who's who's a popular artist. I don't I don't know much about him to be honest. I didn't know. I saw the slits open up for Sonic Youth a long, long, long time. ago. Of course ago. you did because yeah. Sonic Youth uh, wrote wrote line wrote in liner notes for their albums to try to get them a wider view, as did Nirvana. And this yeah. actually, I'm glad you said. I thought you'd never say Sonic Youth because that allows me to tell a vignette. Okay. Um, so, lead singer of the Slits mm-hmm. inspired a, a band called the Raincoats. Okay. And and the bait one of the players in the Slits was also shortly in the Raincoats. And there's a beautiful story which I've talked about before in this on this podcast about that that's told in the liner notes of Incesticide by Nirvana, Mm. where Kurt Cobain, when he was touring England, went to try to find the lead singer of the Raincoats because he was looking for a record that he had heard was dope because he had heard other music by them. Mm -hmm. This was back in the 90s where where it was harder to find music. Yeah. And he he gets directed to a puppet shop. Mm Mm-hmm. Where, where the lead singer of the Raincoats is working as a puppet maker. Mm-hmm. And he's, he embarrasses himself, being like, I'm a really big fan, I've always been looking for this record, you know, uh, maybe I can buy a marionette, but they don't take cards, he doesn't have cash. And then weeks later, he gets sent a signed copy of the Raincoats album. That's awesome. Isn't that a dope story? I love stuff like that. I was just thinking recently, because it was the... Yesterday was the anniversary of uh, Iron Man and um, No Fear, the OGC album, because they got released on the same day. And then it just made me think about all the just like, I didn't even know the OGC album had come out. That It was all about Iron Man. And then I right, remember of course, yeah. I cut class to go buy it. And then other and these other two kids uh, who I knew cut class, and then they were leaving. They were just like, you're here to get... Ghostface and we were like of course and he's like you know the OGC album came out also I was like oh shit really yeah so and then just all that stuff going to like record uh, um what's the damn what's the term record conventions with with my dad even before I got into DJing I remember yeah like in junior high the first one I went to I was like I don't want to go to old records and like I went there and like record conventions aren't just about vinyl like you get like I got like the Beastie Boys demo tape the best thing, when I was the in best like thing about seventh fairs. grade, and I was like, "This isn't rap." They're like, "This is punk." Oh, I didn't know the Beastie Boys were like this before. Like, you learn stuff like that. The know? best thing about record fairs, aside from spending time with your family and friends, mm. is were the bootlegs and the live CDs. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. People don't even realize because because you can find one we one B sides are released now as albums. They're much more wanted now. Yeah, but. There used to be record stores in the village where, that were only that were only bootlegs and and live albums. Yeah, and they were always expensive for like really expensive. Like there, you know, before they finally decided to make a definitive version of the beast of the beat. I was about to say Beastie Boys, the Beach Boys, Smile. Mm-hmm. You you were always you could only get Smile if you bought very expensive bootlegs that were. 
sort of trying to figure out what the album was. Mm-hmm. And then eventually they decide. Then then eventually Brian Wilson finished it and was like, "Oh, this is this is the sequencing." Yeah. Or if you liked Tim Buckley or Jeff Buckley, some of their best work was unreleased. Mm. And there's an there was an entire unreleased Sid Barrett album that mm. I loved. You know, because mm-hmm. for some people, Sid Barrett Pink Floyd was the pinnacle of Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. For me, I like both. You know? Yeah. It's just very, very different music. I'm still weird that I didn't even make that correlation between the slits. This is why we have a podcast. You didn't make the connection of Stan and Devin Sawa in our Fanatic episode. I felt so smart about that. Or not realize... It's like, well, I did, but I forgot. But still, in that moment, I forgot that, you know, Dwayne Jones being in Night of the Living Dead and fucking... um, Ganja and Hess. Yeah. Um, I did, but then I just forgot about it. So, yeah, there's, yeah, we all did. Yeah, I mean, you know, if I was on that episode talking about that movie. Anyways, um, so. We were. What are you talking about? (laughs) What was that? It was on an episode of Zebras. Who who are you trying to throw a shot at? I'm not throwing anyone a shot. Yes, you were. It was on our podcast where that happened. No, that was a, that was a great episode, though. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just like, this is another movie that is very good, mm-hmm. that I highly recommend to people, but it's also really hard to describe. Like sure. How, do you, how sure. do you describe this movie other than there's some great exterior shots, great interior shots, a lot of passive-aggressive... Well, I'll actually figure it out because I'm going to pour myself a glass of water. Oh, can I get one too, actually? Yes, but can you, yes, can no. you talk about yeah. exhibition while yeah. I'm doing it? Yeah. It's, um... Well, not only the things think things that you said, also just I mean about these two people selling a home. You know what I'm saying? Like when you, I'm, I'm like talking to you in the other room. Sorry, I'll talk to the audience. So, just a movie about two eccentric folks trying to sell a home, non-professional actors. But at the same time, oh, I wanted to say this earlier is that while the two lead actors, I'm using air quotes, aren't like professionally trained actors, they're still uh, artists in a sense. So I think sometimes that does kind of give you the leg up on on performing outside of a realm that's yours like so for example the lead singer of the slits she's not some big movie star but you know she performs on stage in front of hundreds thousands of people she's done music videos so at least she's had a camera in her face before and you have this other guy who's an artist so i think that helps and then also to kind of like to mix it up and to still have tom hiddleston you know her kind of clutch guy you have these non. I've always liked the mixture of non-professional actors with like good professional a- actors. I think um, I was going to say this earlier when we started talking about it, but Bruno Demont has definitely found that um, he's found that balance because you know at the start Bruno Demont would not use any actors whatsoever. Um, he would just all use people from the town that he would shoot in. But nowadays, with like Slack Bay or Malut, if you want to call it, or Camille Claudel. You know, he'll have, like, a Juliette Binoche, you know, sharing a scene with some, like, weird homely person from, from that town. And it just makes, like, when it, when it works, it really, really works. Well, I think, so. it, I think it really helps con- when, I think when you mix the two, if the actor is good and willing. Oh, of course. Sure. And willing and generous. Sure. Generosity being the important thing, they kind of help you connect. <clears throat> with all these things. Yeah, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad we're doing this episode too because not that I hate these movies, we're not going to get into this Marvel nonsense, but 
Loki stuff aside, Tom Hiddleston's a really, really good actor. Yeah, I didn't um, even think we needed to talk about it because yeah, yeah, it just it comes up. But I well, I the reason I thought about this too is because the previous movie Archipelago Archipelago is one of Scorsese's recent favorite films. Interesting. Uh, and he actually pre- wow, what did he, he either produced? Oh, I think he was one of the like executive producers on the Souvenir uh, as well. So. What are you looking for? I'm looking for a Mayakovsky book because I was quoting Mayakovsky before we started and he's my favorite poet probably and I just want... I know people used to like when I would uh, when I would quote stuff. Sure. Or like say deep things. But I think, you know, I've said a bunch of deep things today, I think maybe. Um, Speaking of the souvenir, I was trying to transition into... Yeah, I also just want to say one thing that... I like I love weird performance art stuff and I still think one of the best things in cinema from last year was um the last dragon inspired performance from Sorry to Bother You from who who you remember the film Sorry to Bother yeah, You Yeah no of course you said the last dragon inspired Do you remember there was that scene where um what was that actress's name Oh, the, oh, uh, Tessa Thompson. Tessa Thompson. Oh, okay, yeah. It was just that, when is, I said who, I thought I just didn't know what you're talking. Is about. performing scenes from right. the Last Dragon while mm-hmm. people are throwing yeah. things at her. Yeah. Do you remember that yeah, scene? Of course. That I thought that scene was was that was one of the most memorable things from last year. Mm. One because I love the film The Last Dragon, mm-hmm. and two I I find performance art to be really interesting. Sure. Like when people would literally really hurt Abramovic. Yeah, yeah. Or, and I know people have have mixed feelings about Shia LaBeouf, but there was, there was this art installation he was doing where he wouldn't respond and people would have sex with him. Oh, I didn't even know about that. Yeah, yeah. And that's okay. fucked up. Okay. Yeah. I know. Which leads us to the souvenir. Let's let's sure. leave that and go to the su- souvenir. Great transition. Yeah, terrible. No, but yeah, oh. in, when he was doing his performance art, he said that that uh, he was he said that that women had had taken advantage of him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so the souvenir takes place in the eighties in England. Yeah, they're a great ensemble cast. Of um, Tilda Swindon, yeah, her daughter, Honor Swindon, Swindon, Honor Swinton, yeah, Honor, Honor Swinton. Uh, I forget the last part of her name. Um, yeah. So what is what is the souvenir about? Souvenir. It's about uh, a young a young woman. She does come from privilege, but also it's not so much she comes from privilege. She's also kind of in a bubble. And, yeah. and and has grown up in, in a bubble, but she and I think she she says it in so many words when she's in, when she's uh, interviewing for her like thesis film where she's like I've just grown up in this world I just want to know what's what's outside of it. So while on one hand this movie is just about um, this young girl and the the romantic relationship she has with a, with a slightly older guy who is an addict it's also there's also this other part of the story about her trying to like find her 16, voice 16 years older 
Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. He's late 30s. She's early 20s, right? Yeah. Yeah. But then aside from that love story, and also the movie just deals with things that come with addiction, just where it's like, you get clean for a while, and then you fall off, and then you're not clean anymore. It's it's this whole cycle. And also, uh, like, verbal abuse and monetary abuse. Like, sure. He just, like, like, well, let's backpedal a little. Sure. But then it's also about her, like you had said before, it's semi-autobiographical to Jonah Hogwarts about this young girl who wants to be, you know, a filmmaker. She wants to be a filmmaker. It's starring her. Uh, her, her partner is played by Tom Burke. There's yeah. also a nice uh, little little part from Richard Ayode. Who I didn't even realize. it. I saw the movie. I liked it. It's another thing. Sometimes I have blank spots. I don't look up stuff for movies. And then I, a few days after I saw it, oh, actually it was Ashley Clark. Uh, he's one of like the head programmers at for BAM Cinema. He had tweeted something about, I love Richard Ayode's one scene in uh, The Souvenir. I'e like, what are you talking? What? He was in the Souvenir. Yeah, and, and then I was scene. like, oh, that was him. Oh shit, and, that was him. Yeah. And w- I'm sure we'll get there because I think this is pretty cool. Yeah. They're making a sequel. Yeah, they are. And he's going to be in it. Yeah. And Richard Ayode, you might know as the director of Submarine, which was a movie I liked. Mm-hmm. And and. Or the double. And the 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 best part of the movie, The Watch. Oh sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. The watch being Definitely. the neighborhood watch alien film. Yeah, that that sort of people didn't watch because it came out around the time of the murder of Trayvon Martin. Yeah, so neighborhood watch stuff was not super popular. Yeah, and yes, I called it a murder because yeah. well, I believe of course that, it was. It was cold blooded murder. Yeah, but um, um and yeah, and like like Seth Rogen just always ends up like. Making movies that are like in the sometimes in the wrong place, wrong time. We almost started a war with Korea, or um, <laughs> oh, did he write that? Yeah, oh, I didn't know that. I mean, I it's not surprising, yeah, or or when he made that mall cop movie the same time as Paul Blart, much funnier, a much better movie, Blart, much, much better, problematic movie, but sure, but, a, but you know, that's like. That movie is much better than it's get given credit for. I agree. And but there is like a really shitty, uh, in my opinion, rape scene. But yeah. And that I think that my that bogged it down. Also, people really like Paul Blart, and they're very yeah. different movies. Yeah. But the watch is such a weird movie, and Richard Ayoade is the best part of it. Yeah. Also, I guess in his native land, people know him from the IT crowd. Yeah, yeah, he's he's in a bunch of movies, and yeah. he's he's going to be in the souvenir too. Yeah. And we can, which is we, so weird to say. We'll yeah. we'll we'll get to it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and yeah. So oh, that's another thing too about this movie is the more well known veteran actors like Tilda Swinton or Richard Ayoade, they play the background. Like yeah. we already said, Richard Ayoade's in one scene, and to be quite honest, Tilda Swinton's in what four scenes? She's in very little total. And, and you know what? You know what? The shooting style gave me a vibe of. What's that? Thirty-five rums. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, like How? kitchens and houses, and just the first few scenes. And well, definitely then, like the party scene at the beginning, yeah. like the house party scene. And that movie made me miss like house parties. I didn't. I do. I love. I love. I love a nice house party in in in, in a nice home. And like the yeah. and the and the conversations about privilege are nonchalant yeah. because it's a different time. Like the yeah. way money is held, yeah. talked about, and held about is different. Yeah. 
through like checkbooks and ledgers and yeah. and then slowly she's falling for this man and and he's taking advantage of her and he's like bringing up fucked up shit out of nowhere that he's yeah. like seeing other women that he's been stealing from her and that like someone from his drug world just kind of pops up in her apartment yeah at, at one point which i'm sure that stuff kind of stuff happens no, no that that stuff happens a lot yeah, yeah. um i'm gonna you know that this move i read a couple of reviews that were like were like just really upset that they that they were portraying this sort of toxic relationship like this wouldn't happen, and I'm like, oh, that, that I'm just like, shows you people don't know what they're talking. Yeah, about. if you've ever dated an addict or someone who was mentally unstable that wasn't t- that wasn't taking proper care of themselves or were in a toxic relationship where someone had power or currency, this this girl, this woman, this woman mm-hmm. comes from a small small world. And is totally taken by this gorgeous man. Where she does when she first discovers his strawberry marks, it might be when she's like, "What are these?" She might actually not know what they yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you don't know, like you don't know what it's like to be caught up in that and the manipulation and the and she's this is her first love. Yeah, and that he, that too. That's the most important thing too. And, and also, people and act he, as if people don't stay in relationships. Let, let's take out maybe the drug addiction, but people stay in abusive relationships. People stay in toxic relationships. They stay in relationships they have no business being in for you know a long time. So yeah. you're right. I, I I read I read we might have read some of the same reviews. I didn't bother checking out some of the names, but but the gist of some reviews were like, oh, why don't you just leave them? And it's just like, are you really? Are you serious? Yeah. Well, also we live in this world where it's like there's this we're we're in such a strange vacuum where yeah. like. People are either like take no blame for anything, mm. like everything is like a product of something else, or or everything is your fault. Sure, you know, either like either we blame the victim, or or we or in or or in some ways we blame the victim when defending the perpetrator. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like when, mm-hmm. when like you're talking about people who've been arrested or something, you're like, well, what about the society? Which is in a way, because then you're, what about, like there is a fact that like, yes, I think the prison system and the crime system is totally messed up. But that doesn't mean that the person for whom the crime happens isn't affected by it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And, and anyone that's been in a relationship with a drug addict or an addict or anyone like that knows that this is, this is sort of what happens. And it's just very naive and yeah. unkind to just think that it's that simple. Sure. And that's why I thought this performance was so harrowing and so heartbreaking was how she does this thing that a lot of other directors do where give you bits and pieces of things and, and will will sometimes be like like other other directors we like, like Denis, Mattel the best parts of Abel Ferrara, things are happening as they are important to the experience of the characters. Sure. So in New Rose Hotel, like half of the action is happening not on screen. Mm -hmm. Or in 444, Last Night on Life, Last Night on Earth, Mm -hmm. the world is ending 
on the other side under on the other side of the screen. Yeah. Um, all these things are happening in Claire Denis films that you that aren't being shown. Mm-hmm. Or as or as uh Mikhail was talking to me about unrelated, like you never actually see the car crash when there's a little car crash. Yeah. Yeah. So like in this movie in the eighties there's there's a there's an IRA car bomb that goes off. And it's like barely, a, it's not really in there. Or right, like where the, that would have been the whole focus of the another whole focus movie. of another movie. Or like, um, there's Libyan crises that are happening that you only hear in the radio. Yep. Or, or, when, spoiler alert, when, when, when the main character dies of a heroin overdose, mm-hmm. it happens off screen. Yep. Where so many movies would have had her find him. Oh, t- god damn! Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you know, one of the show, the show Girls, the mm-hmm. Lena Dunham show, mm-hmm. was was not my favorite show. Mm-hmm. But there's there's and I I kept on watching because it was like something to do. But in one of the later seasons, there's there's an episode where one of the main characters is reconnected with her boyfriend who left, mm-hmm. and it's a really good episode. But then like towards the end of the episode, you realize that he's a heroin addict. <coughs> oh, is that is that my boy Eben? No. Oh, because he plays a drug. I don't know the show, but I know he's on it. He plays he, a drug n- addict. N- Eben isn't really a drug addict in the in the show. Oh, I he's, thought, okay, I'm thinking something. He's wrong. oh, actually, he does turn out to be a drug addict. Yeah, but not a heroin you, addict. But you're talking about someone else. Someone else. Yeah. Okay. Um. Okay. Yeah. Uh. No, someone else. Mm-hmm. And it was like re- it was really good because it shows like the the nuances of like. How secretive and how how destructive drug addictions can be, mm-hmm. and secondly, there have been a couple of stories from people I know who are dating drug addicts, mm-hmm. where they would like come into their house and like some random person is getting out of the shower. I, yeah. So, so like that 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 scene fucked me up, dude. Mm-hmm. Because I was like I was like oh. Joanna Joanna Hogg I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that happened to her yeah yeah cause like cause cause that sort of little sort of thing you might not be able to write if you didn't experience sure, it sure cause cause when you know people who are suffering from addiction you might just meet their random addiction friends yeah and and you know in the Yes, self disclosure a little. I went to so I went to way too many funerals for for people who never got over that shit. And then they you know, like you would sort of notice when they got the new friends. And then you mm. start and then you started being like, Damn, I have to hide my shit. Right. Or like every time like something you couldn't find something and maybe you misplaced it, at first you'd be like, Oh, was this person? Yeah. Yeah. And what I find really interesting, this this could be my favorite movie of the year. I'm glad to hear that. Um, is that they're making a sequel? Yeah, that is already has is done. It's yeah. in the can. And it just it, it reminds me like sometimes you make sequels to non. To non-action movies or non-movies that you would think would get a sequel, mm-hmm. 
and it becomes really cool, like all the This Is England TV shows. Yeah, right. Not as not great, but I love the idea behind it. Yeah, Shane but, Meadows is a guy. I like Shane Meadows. I think more as a person, maybe not so much all of his movies. But although I do love Room for Romeo Brass, but I I I, I get what you're saying. I'm just saying it was pretty cool. Like This Is England would have been enough. Yeah, that's a very good movie. Yeah, but the fact that he, I sort of was happy to get more insights into into those characters. Sure. And I always thought it thought what was so insane. Ah, uh, don't want to say insane. What was so interesting about this is England is that the that the actor that played Jumbo, the combo, skin, combo, yeah, yeah. the mm-hmm. skinhead dude, yeah, his his grandma's Jamaican, yeah, and like not white Jamaican. Yeah, you're talking about yeah oh, Stephen Graham, um, yeah, who who by the way kills it in The Irishman. He's 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 excellent. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. To go toe to toe, mostly his nemesis in the Al Pacino is, or Jimmy Hoffa rather, their nemesis or enemies in that movie, and he just right, goes at it with Al Pacino. He's didn't so didn't great. he play someone in Midnight in in that Boardwalk Empire? He did. I I haven't. I've seen never that. watched. That I've show. never watched that show. But yes, but that's all anyone says is yeah. Because I'm just gangstered out. So I'm hope sure. I I mean I'm excited to see. The Irishman, because a lot of people said it's good. Yes. And it's, I mean, I'm, I'm going to watch it on Netflix. I'm not going to watch it in theaters. Um, it's long, though. Yeah. I think, yeah. Oh, the new Baumbach movie's coming out on Netflix soon. Right, right. And Which, uh, speaking of Scorsese and all that, uh, our friend of the show, Rob Cotto, said Ray Liotta is really, really good in that movie. Awesome. I'm looking yeah. forward. And, and as I told you, I'm going to give Uncut Gems a chance. I just got to wait for them to, you know... Be a little more available to see. Sure. Um, you know. Uh, boom, 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 boom. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, and Dead Man's Shoes. You know I love that movie. Yeah, I think the older I get, it's a little... I, I love the idea behind this. Well, I love Patty Constantine. He, he's the, he's one of those actors I'll watch anything he was he's in. he was in Submarine. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Well, him in um, Outside of That... I guess it's just maybe a scene thing. Him and Richard Aoi are, 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 are boys. That's cool. Yeah. Richard Aoi seems like a cool dude. Yeah. No, Dead Man's Shoes is good, but it's like... I love it, but I know I know that it's flawed. Yeah. There's a lot of issues about it. Yeah. And that's like close to a grief horror. It's more like a grief violence movie. Grief thriller. Grief thriller. Grief psychological thriller. Yeah. It's horror-ish. I mean, he... Terrorizes people with the mask on and all that stuff. It, it's it's a little bit of everything. Yeah, I, I just I just I just think um, I'm really it's really I'm really excited to see what Johanna Hogg's going to keep on bringing. I think she's I think she I think she's I think all of her movies are good. Yeah. Some of her movies are great, yeah. and if she and and I feel like she's really coming through, and. Um, yeah, what did you think of the souvenir? Uh, it's one of my favorite movies of the year. Uh, I think it's great. What I also am find this is one of those like it's becoming the souvenir I'm talking about is is kind of a sleeper where like from like I don't know New York Times, IndieWire, all these like big platforms who do their kind of mid season like best movies of the year. A lot of them are using like the souvenir as like their number one or it's like in their top three so it's it's quietly getting getting some good traction so i i, I like i like that a lot 
Which is nice because it also got a lot of hate from a lot of people too. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah. And also, I've seen more people who really like this movie than than not. So. Yeah. Um, and zebras, let us know what you thought of this. If you liked it, if we talked too much about things that weren't about the movies, what? How I you think doing? the opposite? We got outside of the email, and so we got right to it. This was actually we didn't divert as we didn't much divert as we have too in, bad. In, in, yeah. in another episode. So no, I don't um, want to hear it. And <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I do want to hear it because I want to. Like I think, I think our willingness to engage with our fan is really is really important sure um and also yeah man wendy and lucy that's a sad movie it is but you know it's funny i've because not so much anymore but i used to when i had people over my old apartments and i'd loan that dvd out the first thing that anyone says like does the dog die and then i have to i i I have to kind of like somewhat spoil the movie like no the dog doesn't but still watch it it's still a sad because you have to say because that's what happens like it's a sad movie and right away people i do love that people like oh god so the dog dies it's like no actually no no, but it's still sad because here's the thing in real life when you lose everything you love and your dog you don't become john wick Rhyme histories combined couldn't violate the prime optimist operative. You 
use my hydrometer to see how warm you are. Watch me form a star. Hydrogen turns to helium when I shine. Riding them, revealing them, leading them to the vacuum. Interact with tunes in my digital citadel. Critical, pivotal, with a mental shit on you. Spit infinity, hitting energies through dope for all planets. Star spanning, slamming hymns with mechanical limbs. Scanning your lens with cosmic rays. You all get play, your brain's inferior. I hit the lateral and posterior. My science is eerie. Ionic bonding for your moronic ponder and meet the armorings. My micro machines might throw your team into paralysis. They not talented, just a malady. Worry about a salary, creative casualty. Couldn't diffract my power density, intensity, non equivalence. 900 newtons crush you like croutons. You plus you stun. High roads like dive holes inside a silo. Turbulence tenfold, never simple. Defies accepted methods, development most unique. Paralyzed central nervous when you close to me. Interstellar void fills with color, appears to bubble and split into four like amoeba. Inhabiting planets with grandiose boats that coast like silver surfer. Build a purpose, high velocity, verbal atrocities, fire resistance, better higher assistance. My distance glitz in ultra high performance inside your private quarters where I fry your components. <laughs> 